Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And I'm here with a special guest, Dan Duggan, or as my daughter likes to say, Dan Dugan. Why is Dan Dugan texting you so often? Why is Pat Leonard texting you so often? And why does the group chat that you guys have have a curse word in it? These are the important things that she wants to know, Dan. So we're going to go through that and we're going to go through everything that unfolded at Minicamp. We're really doing this right almost immediately after the third day of Minicamp concluded. Dan uh, actually jetted home real quick. I'm still sitting in my car with a Starbucks. You, you are, I assume, are sitting on your couch already, Dan? Feet up? Yeah. Ready to take a nap? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My 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 three month old son's in the other room, so I'm just trying to hope he doesn't make too much noise here in the background. But yeah, I'm home and uh, school's off for summer, which is nice. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Really, I mean, we're done covering. There's no open access the rest of the spring. The Giants have some stuff on Monday and Tuesday. Sounds like it's more like uh, going to be show up to fin- make sure you collect your uh, off season workout bonus. Really you know, exit interview type of thing before you head off to the spring now. Yeah, no, this is a big day for, you know, guys, you know, 53 to 90, it sounds like uh, next week. I would assume, especially the veterans, obviously you weren't there for the first couple of OTAs. I can't imagine sticking around. And I'm sure even some of the other guys who maybe came those first two weeks will probably say, all right, see you in uh, late July, Joe, and, and the rest of the game. Let's go and get into it and get into the some of our impressions, right? I mean, it's hard. They're really just practicing. They're, to be fair, there's no li- real fully live drills. Like the defense isn't even allowed to knock down passes. So uh, it, it's kind of there's obviously no pressure. There's no li- there's no offensive line or defensive line uh, play, real physicality. So it's hard to make judgments on that. But is there anything you saw from this week or really the the, the whole spring? That makes you feel better or worse about Daniel Jones as the Giants quarterback and his prospects of potentially making that jump? Not really. I mean, I'll say this, like he always looks good in shorts. I mean, from day one of his rookie mini camp, I mean, he looks the part. Uh, it's funny. Darius Slayton was talking today about uh, his arms are getting all cut up. I mean, he looks like a really impressive athlete. Um, you know, he throws a nice ball. All that stuff is fine. It's, it's the question um, that's really existed now. We're going into year three of it when, you know, in week one, when Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb are, are coming off the edge, is he going to you know, make the right decision or hold on to the ball? All that type of stuff. And we've seen times where he has, and we've, we've seen times where he hasn't. Um, but I don't think anything you're seeing in May and June is going to make me think drastically different. You know, he's not a guy who like had to lose weight or put on weight. I mean, he just looks good. You know, he's doing all the right things uh, in the offseason. That's one thing. Uh, I was talking to our esteemed colleague, Bob Glober today, uh, who I don't know, you got an award for his lifetime achievement uh, this week. But uh, as we're talking, Daniel Jones is running extra sprints from sideline to sideline while yep. you know the rest of the team is going through drills. Anything with him, if, if he fails, it will not be for anything intangible. I mean, he checks all those boxes and then some, he works hard, he's diligent, he's, you know, he's first in, last out, all those cliches. Um, so he looks good in June minicamp. I'd be shocked if he didn't, you know, it's really, like I said, it's, it's when the bullets are flying or we're a few months away from that to see if he's, if he's really made the strides that, um, you know, the giants certainly are banking on him making. Yeah. Daniel Jones did not fall when he was doing those sprints. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Horrible joke right there. Horrible joke. I know. I know. So any, any, anyone stand out to you? I mean, I, I have, I have mine in my head of who stood out to me the most this week and I'll start first, but I'll like give you a few seconds to think 
my shit that. this weekend, and I'm I'm a I'll leave Evan Ingram to you because he's Michael Jordan in uh in shorts <laughs> and shoulder pads. I mean, we've seen that now for years. But Freddie Kitchens to me, I mean, did you get that? <laughs> comes out Tuesday. Okay, let me set the scene. Freddie Kitchens comes out Tuesday. He's got like a white T-shirt on. Usually, coaches wear. Joe Judge was actually wearing a sweatshirt, I believe, and boy, was it humid and hot. Uh, or some kind of hoodie, you know, like uh, some kind of uh, windbreaker or something, long sleeve. So Freddie comes out, and uh, you, you should probably know what Freddie Kitchens looks like. You know, you're, he just looks like, you know, he's uh, he spent time in Alabama, right? He was an Alabama coach. He's a, he's a Southerner, a little Southern boy. He's got the twang to him. He's got the shirt, white T-shirt rolled up. Sun's out, guns out, Freddie Kitchens, hat backwards. And you're like, holy cow, is that even a coach? So to me, Freddie <laughs> Kitchens stood out, just killed it, killed it on, on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was, I, I know, I know you were, you were taken aback by it as well. It was definitely something that caught your attention. Freddie Kitchens just looking like a stud out there. Yeah. I mean, he looked like he came straight from a barbecue or something and just rolled out there. Um, <laughs> but no, I appreciate you going first to, to buy me some time to actually try and think of someone from a football's perspective. Cause yeah, like you and, touched and, on. And I, and I obviously took the easy way out, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because, you know, it's it's not really an evaluation period. I think Joe Judge said as much because, um, you know, it's not live, fully live. You know, the Giants will put out a clip of, you know, some deep pass and never ooze and ahs. But then, like, you realize the defensive back, like you said, can't even contest the catch. So it's a little hard to get too excited. Um, I'll say something that stood out to you, not necessarily a player. Uh, it's that Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay, it seemed like any time they weren't directly involved in a drill, they were always together. And again, that's, you know, it's one of these little sports writer things that we all love. And, you know, we'll be writing waxing poetically about it. If they you right. know, do blossom into Eli and Plaxico that remember way back when, but really, I mean, it, it, it's notable that, you know, there's a lot of different stations during practice and a lot of special teams, especially where obviously the quarterbacks aren't involved. And rather than go stand on the sidelines, those two guys are always together, just getting extra passes and nothing that's going to really, you know, show up in week one, but it's just encouraging that they seem to always, whether it's arranged by the coaching staff or they do it on their own, they're just always together. They're always throwing passes. There's, you know, a couple uh, the last two days, they were doing stuff in the end zone where yesterday, I think, you know, again, a, a clip went viral from the giants of Gallaudet making a one-handed catch, but they were really working on back shoulder throws. Then today it was the quarterbacks with Galladay and Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph even was out there catching some passes, just stationary, but just like constantly being together. I mean, that's what you want to see. Um, you know, Kenny Galladay doesn't have to worry about special teams. He's not going to be running down on kickoff. And he's not even going to be returning anything like that. So he's, he's got he nothing to do in those drills. I mean, he, yeah. would like, he would like start a drill, run a route and then kind of just stand around and then not run another route again. But like we said, he always made sure he was with Daniel Jones. Yeah. And I mean, even he had like the line where he's like, that's my boy when he was asked about Daniel Jones. So it seems like that relationship is off to a good start. Um, so, I mean, again, you're looking for, at things like that in training camp. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like, you know, a, a guy came to my mind as I was thinking, like David Sills. But like, again, they're not really going against pressure from defensive backs. And it's sort of just glorified passing camp, um, which as the more I think about this, that's probably what the Players Association was hoping to get out of this. Because I can remember going to, we didn't have a Joe Judge, you know, offseason program last year to compare it to. But if you think back to, I was only here for, you know, Shermer and McAdoo, but I'm sure Coughlin's were pretty intense. They were like full-scale practices. And that's what, you know, you talk to J.C. Treader or D. Smith, they wanted to get away from that. So maybe Joe Judge, you know, he says he didn't negotiate, but maybe he just sort of wisely, you know, scaled it back a little bit. It wasn't like 11 on 11. The linemen are basically beating each other up without pads on. 
it was really like a passing camp and, and, uh, you know, working on timing, communication, all that stuff. So like for me to single out a guy, like, again, like David Sills popped in my mind. So I felt like he ran with the ones maybe more than I would have expected. Uh, but I think it'd be a little disingenuous to say like someone really impressed me, but I, I think the Jones Galladay thing, uh, was interesting and, and sort of encouraging if you're looking for signs of, of their, uh, chemistry building. Yeah, that's my boy blue, you know, like, <laughs> they, got, they got that thing going, the two of them, you know, spent some, I guess it's not just them, but uh, Daniel Jones has spent some time with his receivers in Arizona, which we don't really know if Galladay was there for that one, but uh, Charlotte as well. And they've also done had had throwing sessions here. They do it at local high schools a bunch of times. I know they have uh, this offseason in New Jersey. Now, the easy answer, obviously, would, would be Evan Ingram, because like I said before, dude looks like Michael Jordan in shorts and shoulder pads. I mean... He's just he he moves so well. He's in good shape. He he you know without people contesting the catches, he's catching everything. But I guess that's a good sign for him that at least at least he's catching all the passes in his direction because last year was a disaster. And <laughs> there, there is like the the idea that a lot of it was probably mental. And at least for now, they're back here. I know it's not full contact, like we said, it's basically passing camp. But he did look good, so. Uh, I mentioned it before. I'm not going to take it away from him. It's better than looking crappy in this setting, too. So, yeah, well, I had to laugh because it's not often you hear Pro Bowl season described as a disaster. But even he, when I asked him about his <laughs> season, and he basically said, you know, there was a lot of like downs and stuff you wanted to throw up from it. But it's funny. I also laughed. What was the number one I remember, thing he said? Ball suck that he was needed to work yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Ball suck. I, I remember that was an accident, obviously, right? Right. I remember being on your pod last summer, I think it was in training camp and you, you know, you had him down for like 1500 yards. So I also <laughs> laugh at that because he definitely, he, he gets you every year. Um, so you always got to have to be a little cautious with the, uh, the off season optimism because it, it hasn't fully translated to the fall. It'll, yet be, with inter- him. it'll be interesting. Cause I always say I'm going to die on the Evan Ingram Hill. Like I'm leading the bus. Like I'm in one year, I'm finally going to be right. Cause there's just too much talent there. But now it's like, I want to still say, okay, I should do that. I should still, you know, be on the leader of the Evan Ingram bandwagon. But now they have so many targets. Like, literally, what's his ceiling? Right. Like, what? Like, is is twelve hundred yards even possible for Evan Ingram in this offense? Even if he blows up and has a great year, like, is that realistic? No, I mean, I'd be very surprised. I was, I was looking at something. I think he had, you know, over a hundred targets last year. Well, you just brought in Kenny Galladay. I think a lion's share of those targets would probably go that way. Or if, if someone's going to have 140 targets on this offset offense, you're more likely to be Galladay than, uh, than Ingram. So yeah, I think, I think, but that's why Darius Tony, I mean, we didn't even get to him yet, but they, you know, they, they drafted a receiver in the first round too. Yeah. Yeah. And Kyle Rudolph will probably have a bigger share than, you know, Caden Smith and, and these guys. So no, I think, but that might be the best thing for him. Cause I mean, I think he was a little overexposed as sort of a like number one option last year. I don't think that's a great fit, um, but if he could just know, isn't it? I mean, What's that? It was by attrition. They didn't have anything right, right. to do with it. So, no, I think him as your third or fourth or fifth best option is probably best for all involved. You know, a little less uh, uh, targets might be a good thing. And just, you know, a couple big plays a game. And, and, and that's probably what he's best suited for. We're taping this on a Thursday. And uh, Kadarius Tony was not there. He was excused to deal with a family emergency. Uh, so now that is... I mean, five practices we've been there for. He has completed one. Uh, but that one yesterday, he did look pretty good. Uh, I was impressed, at least. I mean, just just the way he moves, you could see, okay, you, this is why the guy was a first-round pick, right? I mean, he moves differently than, than a lot of other guys on the field. 
your impressions of what you've seen from Kadarius Tony throughout, I guess, rookie minicamp in the beginning, really the first two days here at minicamp? Man, I feel like we could do a whole podcast because it's been it's been an adventure. And like you said, we're only five practices in. Um, yeah, Wednesday's practice was great because it was you know relatively uneventful. I mean, he did look good, but I think the more important part is he started, participated, and finished practice you know without any uh, issues, which has been few and far between. And listen, today is different. We don't know family emergency that could mean anything, and certainly you know that could happen to anybody at any time. Um, but so throwing that out. It just feels like there's kind of been something with him every day. Um, again, it's a small sample size, but also you have to keep in mind, this isn't a guy who came in with you know no question marks. So you would have loved to see just a nice quiet spring where he shows up, puts in the work, and it's you know nobody has any you know questions. I mean, I've never heard of a rookie. Uh, you know, I've been on the beat five years, skipping the offseason voluntary program. It, you know, might happen. I don't know around the league. I, I I can't think of any. I know Bosa held out a couple of years ago. That was uh, pretty unique, but. Uh, it's that pretty rare. For, I mean, that was for mini camp. I, I don't think I remember looking that up. I don't think that was for OTAs, Bosa. Okay. So, so was, I mean, I found that to be unique. I, I, I didn't yeah. find any other examples. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, you did more of the homework than I did, but it was just strange. I mean, especially because he was at rookie mini camp. So, I mean, a lot of people get tied up with the contract. And I think you and I were talking about that is sort of what the, the word kind of is that it was contract related, but it's just strange then because he, you have to sign a waiver to participate in the rookie mini camp and that would cover him uh, through the OTA. So if he blew out his knee, he would still be protected. Um, so just, you know, it's just been a kind of a strange start. And if it had been Aziz Ojolari or Ellerson Smith, these guys that have you know, had no question marks, you know, in the character department and the draft process, you would say, Oh, wow, that's really odd. But with, with, with Tony, there was just a lot of stuff there and I'm not getting into like the gun stuff. So I know people say, you know, nothing was illegal there. Uh, I'm not saying that it's just like, we've been around long enough. There's just stuff for lack of a better term seems to find certain guys, you know, 89 guys cleats fit right. And one guy's doesn't, you know, 89 guys can finish practice and do conditioning. One guy can't, when it's always the same guy, you just start to say like, there's just always something. And again, we're very early. And, uh, you know, you mentioned his talent and the way he moves. I mean, listen, I'm certainly not going to bury the guy because he'll make you look real bad in in week one when, you know, he takes a bubble screen and breaks three tackles and goes 60 yards for a touchdown. So (laughs) uh, the talent is there. And I think that it's just really important for him to manage him, stay on top of him. Uh, I just don't think he's going to be a low maintenance guy. I mean, I think that we've seen already there was a lot of those questions coming out. Um, you know, I have one thing that someone pointed out to me that made me scratch my head too. When you think about it, he obviously didn't become physically gifted a senior at Florida. He's been probably the most dynamic player every field he's ever stepped on. And yet he didn't really even have a role until his senior year. So clearly three years for them to figure things out at Florida. Um, you, you know, no coach would choose to keep a guy that athletic on the bench unless there was other stuff to, to manage. Um, so listen, you know, we've seen plenty of wide receivers in this league have drama, have different issues and the talent overcomes it. Uh, we'll see. It's very early, but you would just, I think Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, everyone would prefer a quieter spring uh, than what they got. He's building a nice little resume. In- interesting resume. I don't think it's problematic or anything you need to no. worry about, but it's definitely an interesting resume. Remember, these, like you said, things seem to find guys. I've covered hundreds of players, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players. Only one seemed to manage to have a fake fiance that they needed to denounce publicly. <laughs> you know? And those kind of things just find certain people. Uh, It it somehow happens to certain people. And uh, let's just hope that we're not dealing with that with Kadarius Tony here moving forward. But I was impressed with him on the field on Wednesday, at least. Uh, Just the way 
he's able to get in and out of cuts to me is different than, you know, CJ border, you know, Sterling Shepard's pretty <laughs> good at that too, but like there he, he's in a, a rarefied air of guys on this practice field that we saw in regards to the way he's able to move and accelerate. No, I mean, he's a freak and we, and you don't even have to watch practice. Yeah. Everyone's seen his highlight clips. I mean, he does stuff where you just don't even understand the, how he, you know, broke through a pack or how he spun off a tackle or, I mean, the way his just like joints and ligaments move is, is like, odd it's strange like you don't see too many humans who can do that so yeah the way um, that, that yeah straight, that straight leg stop it's it's, it's definitely it's crazy yeah so no i mean listen there's a lot there to work with and and i think tyke tolbert and, and the support staff and all those guys are are going to certainly you know it's gonna be their full-time job to just manage everything from monday to saturday to make sure he's out there on sunday because certainly when the ball's in his hands uh when the lights are on i'm sure he's going to make some you know tremendous plays this year well, that's one thing you got to say Joe Judge has done well since he's got here with. He's he's gotten that buy-in from players that you want and been able to sort of quiet when there's these little bubble-ups, right? Uh, Golden Tate, for example, <laughs> last year. And that's, that's a situation where normally I would have thought that would have blown up and Golden Tate wouldn't have been on the roster by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But he was able to manage to you know, keep that under wraps get everybody back on board and make it work. So, and and that's something I noticed. Tell me what you think about this. This, I mean, when you hear the guys talk this week, last week, all throughout this offseason, there is, seems to still be a complete buy-in of what Joe Judge is selling with his program. Absolutely. No, I think that's, that's probably his biggest strength to this point. Cause I mean, listen, at the end of the day, they went six and 10 last year, but again, we've been around losing teams and, and there's different fields. Um, you know, I think what Shermer went five and 11 in his first year, I didn't mm-hmm. come out of that year saying, wow, they're really building something and heading in the right direction. You know, I, did, though. <laughs> yeah, most points in the division who can forget, but no, um, it just definitely feels different. And they obviously added talent. So listen, it'll be different this year. There's going to be some expectations. They start one and seven again. Nobody's going to be cheering if they, you know, going to run in the second half, they need to win. Uh, and they really kind of upped the ante because I was thinking it was going to be a sort of a slow build. Judges are really going to build this culture and really take their time. And, and they kind of uh, accelerated that timeline, in my opinion. When you, when you spend the way they did, um, the expectations are going to come with it. So let's see if he goes seven and 10 this year. It's still weird to say the records like that. Uh, the, a lot of a lot of the air will come out of that balloon. But I, I don't think, you know, we're expecting that because, I, I you know, it's not just him as a leader. I mean, you, you hear Blake Martinez is always. Um, makes good points. I think he was on like Good Morning Football this week where he talks about how Judge like, takes you from stretching to individual to seven on seven. And like he's able to identify why you made a mistake like in the game or in that practice based on, you know, these small little things. Like he really is a very like a, a you know, football savant. Like he really understands the game and is able to communicate it. Um, and, you know, a good example of his leadership was today. He was talking about how when they drafted Tony, he reached out to Sterling Shepard kind of explain the situation. Like, we're not taking this guy to take, you know, your spot as a slot receiver. He said he did something similar with Nate Solder when they drafted Andrew Thomas. All you have to do is look to Green Bay to see how far a phone call like that might go. Yeah. And, and of course, it doesn't mean that, like, in a year, they might still cut Sterling Shepard for cap reasons and Tony's a, you know, stud. But just making that phone call and, and just the communication, the steps he makes, um, you know, I think it's obviously pretty clear now that the picture that was painted of him last August as, like, this tyrant who's making everybody run and this and that. Uh, was off base. I mean, he's definitely a hard driving coach and, and demands a lot from players, but he does a good job of balancing that out. And I think that's why, uh, to use your word, they have that buy-in and to kind of bring it back to Tony. 
Uh, I think he also probably feels like he's built this culture. He has a really good locker room. He has a good pulse on, on how things are. You can afford to take a risk a little bit. You know, you don't need 53 choir boys. You can have a guy who, yeah. you know, you got to stay on top of, but has a ton of talent and you have faith in your locker room and, and your style of leadership. Um, that you can keep him on the right track and then and obviously get the results. Yeah. You know, Joe judge feels that way. Like he's like, give me talent. I'll deal with them as a person. Like I could deal with that. Let me, let me take care of that. Right. But and, and as you as you broke the easy lazy narrative with Joe Judge is, oh he's Bill Belichick he's not going to say anything he's got no personality he's going to run like a a military type ship but I mean his interpersonal skills is I think probably and like you said it's that that's his probably his best quality so and and you know that's not what people that's not what you see with Bill Belichick far from it right but Bill Belichick he has a different way of doing it because he's got you know two handful of rings that he just holds <laughs> up in the air and says, Hey, look, look guys, look at me, do whatever I'd say. And, uh, you'll get these. And that's basically how he operates. And that's all, that's all he's got to do. So it's a little different. I think judge knows he's not in that situation. He doesn't have the clout of his two successors, Belichick and Saban. So his way to compensate for it is okay. I have to be able to communicate with these guys and relate to them and work with them in that way. So, uh, it's working so far. So uh, the offensive line. Now, we can't sit here and make any judgment at all on offensive line play during these OTAs and minicamps, right? But I think what we have learned and what we have seen, and it is really clear, and we kind of kind of, knew this for months, uh, even before during free agency when the Giants didn't make any moves uh, at tackle, really go after any tackle, to be quite honest with you. The idea is that they want Matt Parrott to be the starter at right tackle. Andrew Thomas, a left tackle, Matt Parrott at right tackle. And then when they brought back Nate Solder, he's the swing guy, kind of. And if Matt Parrott doesn't play well, doesn't live up to the expectations that they have for him, then maybe Solder starts, ends up starting at right tackle. But it's pretty clear, Dan, they want Matt Parrott to win that job. Yeah. And, I mean, it wasn't, you know, again. It, I know that's not a question. I, I know that wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> talk about um but it, and it's not even a competition really i mean matt Perry, as far as you know, i could tell he took pretty much every first team rep at right tackle i mean actually solder probably got more at left tackle because it just seemed like you know andrew thomas maybe on a little bit of a pitch count just coming back from the ankle surgery mm-hmm. um and again it's funny because you know you want to have competition but if you want Perry to be the starter he's you need him to be as many reps as possible so it's not really a, a thing where judge can just have a meritocracy where like you get a you know, series Nate gets a series like no Matt has to get most of them. Doesn't work out, then obviously he you needs trust the work. Control. Yeah, exactly. You trust that Solder has a reservoir of experience, but you're not going to like alternate those guys all summer. You need Parrot to get all the work, and then hope he just validates the, the faith they have in him. But yeah, no, I mean it's pretty clear. I mean the offensive line. I'd be shocked if it's not you know Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, Nick Gates, Will Hernandez, Matt Parrot left to right. I mean maybe they again we don't know that really you know, the young line man. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe the door isn't totally closed on a veteran. I, I don't think they're going to, you know, bring somebody in. I think that's the, the line they're going to ride with. Um, but like, I don't think Zach Fulton is going to start, you know, I don't, I don't think Nate's always going to start. I think they're going to go with that young group and they're kind of crossing their fingers and, and believing in these young guys developing, believing in their coach's ability to get these guys to develop, which again is another thing where Joe judge doesn't lack for self-confidence. You know, he believes that, um, you know, he and his coaching staff can, can get the best out of it. And it's a, it's a big gamble. There's no way to downplay that. It's a gamble, but you know, they're certainly 
um, you know, make an informed gamble. And then, you know, they like these guys in the draft. They like what they saw from them as rookies. Um, they really believe that they'll be good enough. The, a lot's riding on them being right in that, in that belief. Yeah, I mean, it, it starts with Andrew Thomas. Like, they cannot afford for Andrew Thomas not to be – forget play it to be like he did at the beginning of last year. If he does that, they're screwed. He and he he and not even play the way he the way he finished last year when he was like okay he was serviceable like average player like they need him to develop into a good player like right. he's not a good player if he just sits at average or below average like they're screwed I mean because where are they getting a high end player on the offensive line then maybe Nick Gates develops into one uh, like you said Matt Pert Pert who knows Shane Lemieux okay I mean I think he could develop into a quality player I don't think anyone's Dreaming that Shane Lemieux is going to be this dominant guard and Will Hernandez. we kind of seen what Will Hernandez is already, right? So it's like Andrew Thomas and, and, and Nick Gates, one of them better be a premium player. And, and, and really, you need it to be the guy who was the number four overall pick last year. So uh, the defense, we'll talk about it real quick because it was a topic that was discussed a lot. And I think Pat Graham said it best, like, you have to play man-to-man in this league to be successful. Like, and they did last year, but they didn't do it a whole bunch. They kind of tried to hide and mask their weaknesses. But I think we got confirmation this week from speaking to Pat Graham, Adoree Jackson, James Bradbury, that this team is going to play a hell of a lot more man-to-man this year. I assume you're the belief, Dan, as well, that they're a lot better positioned for that. And it's based on what you saw on the field and what we've seen this offseason. Yeah, I mean, you can tell just by the way they attacked the offseason that, you know, they weren't going to roll run it back with, you know, Isaac Yadam and Julian Love at corner. They knew that had to be a position where they upgraded. Um, you know, Odori Jackson becomes available, and they certainly made the financial commitment to to signal how much they valued that position. And honestly, I was saying for the draft, I wouldn't have been shocked if they kind of doubled down. But, of course, uh, Horn and Sertain were off the board, so it kind of took that out of the equation. But then in the third round, Man, they traded up for Aaron Robinson. So they, they're, not, they're not just saying, like, uh, you know, the secondary was good enough last year. They want to have, you know, an elite lockdown secondary um, so they can play a ton of man, especially because if you're going to look at this defense and say, hmm, what's the biggest question mark, the biggest weakness, you're going to say the edge rushers. Well, I think there's obviously that school of thought now where if you have a really good secondary that can cover – that can help because then you can be more aggressive with blitzing and, you know, scheme the pass rush, which they did, you know, pretty well last year, even without uh, a great secondary, which sort of just kind of hats off to Patrick Graham. But no, I think uh, definitely expect to see a lot of man. And, you know, I think with Bradbury and Jackson, they really complement each other. Well, even though I asked Bradbury about today and he said, he thinks he can cover the, the slow, fa- the small, fast guys and the big guys. But I think in an ideal world, you know, you, you kind of have Jackson to chase the Tyree kills of the world. And then Bradbury matches up with, you know, the Mike Evans of the world. Um, and that's right. a nice compliment. And obviously they're kind of loaded at safety and uh, the old Robinson and Donnie Holmes, you know, being at the slide. I think Robinson is a guy who didn't do much this spring. He's clearly been dealing with something, some sort of, you know, seemingly minor injury. But I think he has really going to push for that slot job. And um, you know, he's, he's the guy who's known for man. So now that, that's clear priority. The biggest upset last year really was how little they played. And they wanted to play it a ton, but you saw right out of the gate in you know, Pittsburgh where guys were getting you know, lost on rubber roots left and right that they adjusted and realized they just couldn't with the personnel they had. Uh, so they adjusted on the fly. But I think, you know, and Patrick Graham's DNA, going back to that you know, Belichick style, they want to play a lot of man. So I would expect uh, with the personnel they have now, you, you'll see a lot more of it this year. Yeah, and you just brought up something with Aaron Robinson also spending most of his time on the sideline throughout most of, you know, minicamp and OTAs for what we've seen so far. 
it, it, it makes you think that not ideal for the Giants that their first and third round pick really didn't get on the field that much in the spring. Those are the guys that you want to get on the field as much as possible. You know, the young guys, yeah. the rookies, you, you want them to get that experience so that when the training camp comes, I think this is the biggest takeaway of what Joe Judge is trying to get out of it. He wants to go over everything in the spring, have them know what they're doing so that then when the players come out here in the summer, they're able to play rather than just th- spending half the time learning and thinking. Right. And I, I think it's going to be a much more physical training camp. Because you think back last year, uh, I was so abbreviated with the end of the spring. And it was like a, a ramp up program. Isn't that I think he's going to come out and it's going to be, you know, pretty hot and heavy uh, early in camp with a lot of physicality. So, yeah, he doesn't want guys Good who are point. still tr- trying to learn the playbook. And then you're going to have, you know, I think he basically confirmed today they're going to have joint practice with Cleveland, joint practice in New England. I think it's going to be a, a, a even tougher camp than it was last year because it'll be longer. And I think he's going to, you know, really tax these guys. So you, you don't want them to be still figuring out the playbook at that point. You want them to be ready to roll and, and really compete, uh, you know, full speed. And, um, you know, that's where, yeah, certainly missing reps right now isn't great. But at least Robinson was was there and was he was doing the install stuff. He just didn't really do anything um, that was physically demanding. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what the spring is about. It's kind of just laying the groundwork. He wants to make sure guys are in shape. But also it's really about the – you know, getting everything down, the communication, the the playbook, and uh, so they can hit the ground running when camp opens up in a few weeks. Which is an interesting concept if they go hard in camp because really hard camp because how do how do coaches factor in that seventeenth game? It'll be interesting. You know, that's an it's a the season could be longer now. The season yeah. will be longer now. Uh, it could go even longer than seventeen games. You you know you you play three playoff games. You're talking about a twenty game season. I mean, you're getting deep now. So it'll be interesting to see if he goes in super hard or at, at some point there he does try and take his foot off the pedal a little bit but um i don't know we'll see how that goes which kind of takes us into our the last topic here then we'll play a little quick game on saquon barkley we heard from judge he said you know in and i'm paraphrasing it's not just about the short term it's about the long term with saquon barkley as well and saquon kind of repeated the same thing uh, but I did find it interesting, and what do you think about this, Dan? They did not want to put a timetable on his return. They did not want to – Saquon provided literally zero details, despite me asking twice about hmm. where he is in his progress. Is he running? Is he cutting? Uh, you know, is, is what's what's he doing? Is he uh, basically out there doing everything, you know, straight, full speed? Like, we didn't get any of that. What, what did you make of that and that sort of uh, playing it close to the vest approach? Well, I'll borrow from one of your other segments. You're, you know, Jordan on the beat. Like, I was, I'll take some people inside. Like, when you report something, like you had a, a report a week or two ago that, you know, they're going to be really cautious with Saquon and, you know, maybe not even be full speed until, you know, I don't know where, exactly what you said. But, you know, you basically, you basically put a message out that they're going to be cautious. So as a reporter, you put something out there, you trust your source. I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. <laughs> you put something out there, you know, you trust your sources, you know, you're not going to run it if you don't. But then, like, when the actual subjects step to the mic, you hope they don't contradict what you said. Because even if you end up being right, it doesn't matter. You're going to get a barrage of tweets saying that, you know, fake news and you're wrong. So, to, to kind of tie it back, I think you probably felt uh, some encouragement from uh, at least for validation for your story, because they certainly sounded a very cautious note. You know, there was nothing like, Saquon be like, I'm going to be back, uh, you know, day one of training camp. Like, no doubt I'll be there week one. Like, he didn't touch 
any sort of specific nope. timeline. We asked him, you know, six different ways. And, and he, you know, he's pretty media savvy. And he knew exactly what people were trying to do and trying to get him to say. And he just wouldn't go there. And uh, obviously, Judge didn't either. But even just their general comments, they're really stressing, like, we're not going to force it. We're not going to push him. He's going to be back when he's physically ready. Um, you know, you're talking longevity. They're not looking at this as like, we need Saquon week one, week two. They're looking at, we want Saquon to sign an extension and be, you know, the face of this franchise for another yeah. five years, whatever it may be. Um, so they're certainly not going to uh, make do something risky with a, a guy they have already so much invested in. And clearly you hear from John Mara, they plan to make an even larger investment in. Um, so they should take the, the long, the long view. I'm sure a lot of people are saying, you know, screw it, run them into the ground and then uh, replace them in a year or two. Um, but that's just not how they're approaching this. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, the timeline is, is definitely totally undetermined, at least publicly. Um, you know, it, it obviously they don't know. You never know. It could be a setback. He could think could really, you know, go great for him. And he's uh, and he's ready before they expect. But I, I just think they're going to be super conservative and, and certainly not push him at all, um, you know, during at least the early stages of camp. And I guess we'll just kind of see how it develops as so I wouldn't would think you, it, would you would you bet on him being playing week one now? Someone says, okay, Dan, you got to bet your life. He plays week one, or he's not even ready by then. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, he, he suffered the injury in week two. So, I mean, he's got a long, long runway, you know, basically a year. Um, listen, I'm not an ACL expert, but you do see most guys are yeah. able to come back within a year. So, listen, I don't, you know, I don't know the intricacies of, of his. And he I know had the, the surgery in October. Yeah. And I know the meniscus kind of complicates factors a little bit, but it, put it this way, if he's not back and not physically ready in week one, like maybe they, you know, if they scale back his workload or something, that's one thing, but he like just is inactive and can't play in week one. I'd be a little surprised. I mean, I think that would be, um, you know, unless they're just being super, super conservative, he's not physically ready by week one. I, I would think that would raise a little bit of alarm just uh, in the sense that again, you're basically talking 11 months after the surgery, you would think, um, just based on you know the track record of other guys, he'd be ready to play. But again, maybe they're just going to be so conservative um, that that they're not going to push him. But obviously, uh, a long way to go to make that determination. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I, my gut just tells me it's it'll, it'll be like almost 11 months. Like I said, October to like September. Th- that in the end, they'll they might not say it until like the day before, but he'll be ready to play week yeah. one. That, that's just my that's just my gut. Like. Uh, you know, I, from what I hear, Saquon's doing well in his rehab. Somebody told me he was, they saw him running and jump cutting recently. So you're like jump cutting at this point. And now what, what month are we in? We're in uh, June, right? Right. So we got another three months to get him ready for the season. Basically, that's a decent amount of time if he's already fully running full speed and cutting and doing that kind of stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a line, but there's a line between being conservative and just being kind of unnecessarily cautious. I mean, at some point he has to play and get hit and cut and all that stuff. So, I mean, if, if the doctors clear him and, and he's ready to go, I mean, I don't think you hold him out just to be extra cautious. That kind of kind of pointless, you know, it's professional sports. You got you got to you got to play. So, yeah. Well, the interesting part will be how do you bring him back? 
Like, what do you do? Like, when do you put him into full speed practices? When yeah. do you put get him any contact? Do you get him put him in any sort of contact before he gets into a regular season game? It'll be so it's it's an interesting position. First of all, running backs don't even get tackled for real in training camp. So how do you kind of fit him in to make sure he gets enough work and he's ready? I mean, I'm I'm curious to see how they do that this this summer. Yeah, no, I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one because you know it's but Judge, not like we have any track record to know how he's going to handle this type of thing. And, and Saquon's a little bit of a unique case because he is kind of the, such an important part of the franchise that, you know, Base if it was a franchise. Yeah. I mean, if it was, I don't know, Corey Clement or someone, you just, well, you got to go out there and practice to make the team, you know, I mean, Saquon, it's a little different. Get out um, there, bud. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't be fasting. I'll be, I'll be stay tuned at ESPN.com to get into the latest updates and uh, I'm sure you'll be tracking it closely. <laughs> well, you know, you, you brought up a, a funny thing because, uh, you know, they did kind of back up everything that my story was suggesting. But Saquon, it hasn't always been that way with Saquon. I'll give it Jordan on the beat later of how there was a situation where it went the complete other direction. I reported something about Saquon a couple of years back, and then he went out publicly and completely contradicted <laughs> everything that I said. So I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's play a little game, right? Let's do the let's do the over-under game here, okay? Mm-hmm. A little, a little off-the-grid one, so not one of these aren't easy ones. We know Joe Judge, his propensity for expletives. He slipped a couple into press conferences last year accidentally. <laughs> Joe Judge F-bombs in press conferences this year. Over, under, one and a half. Can he stay under? Ooh, I think he had, I want to say he had two last year. Um, he two, but he, he's a veteran now. And it took him a while. It took longer than I expected, but that I still remember his great line where he said, "Just church that quote up for him a little bit." Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. We'll be in person, hopefully, probably. So that might. I think I'm going to take the over because it's maybe a little easier in Zoom where he's looking at a screen to to not get as fired up. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over. I think yeah. you know probably the in person. We could we could poke him now in perf. It's gonna be in person, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah you're, 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 I'll give you. Yeah, you'll you'll be the one to push him over the edge if he's sitting at one in like December. I think you can you can do it to get him over the edge. <laughs> when you like triple up on like the same question exactly yes. in a, in a different form, you can't, that's the zoom thing. You can't do that with the zoom. The follow-up is like basically dead. I try and slip as many as I can in like one every time, but I mean, I have like four more waiting to go and you just, you just you can't get it in the, in the zoom atmosphere. It's a real killer. Uh, we've got Kelvin Benjamin still on the <laughs> roster, August 12th over or under. Is August 12th like the very first cut? Two days before the first preseason game. So basically asking, does he make it to the first preseason game? Oh, boy. I mean, from what I've seen, I if you got to make room for somebody here, if they do sign a veteran guard or whatever, I mean, he'd be an easy guy to cut ties with. Um, but I think I think he makes it that far. I don't think he's going to make the 53-man roster by any stretch. But, yeah, I'm going to – I'll be optimistic on Kelvin's chances so he survived the first two weeks of camp. I mean, he's a guy who also – wouldn't shock me if there's like a hamstring injury in the first week of camp. And so he's kind of on the roster and, and on, you know, on the sideline or something like that. He, I mean, nothing about what I saw from him suggests like, Oh, wow. They got a guy who was a former first round pick and, and still looks the part. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I, you know, my, my, uh, my theory is guys who have been out of the league for two years or over 30 and are trying a new position. That's probably, I'm going to err on the side of that probably not going well. Oh, look at that. Dan Duggan invented that himself. <laughs> very, very, the never never fails. Very impressive. <laughs> um, all right, we got Danny Shelton. Okay, 
<laughs> listed here at six two three forty five. If I gave you the over under over. on that, that would over. be that would over. be a joke. So that's not. I'm not even giving you that option. Danny Shelton, right now, today, three hundred seventy pounds over under. And I'm telling you, I have never. He makes snacks look thin like that. He, <laughs> he, he, that's how big Danny Shelton looks on the field. Over under 370 pounds. Which way are you going, Dan Duggan? Yeah, I was gonna say if you gave me 345, that was that was that's that a Vegas. Yeah. I mean, no, is <laughs> he is a just an enormous human being. Like, and again, we we've covered the NFL. There's a lot of enormous human beings on the field, and, and he still stands out. I mean, you're taking attendance and you're kind of going down the line, like you never miss 75. He is he is a big, big human. I mean, I I guess whatever number you said, I'd probably take the over just because like I can't get over how big he is. So, I mean, if you're saying 370, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but uh, I'll take the over. Cause I mean, so I think, Dan's, I mean, Dan's going with 371. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Price is right. I mean, I'll, I, I gotta say over just because I mean, he's just so huge that to say under just would go against everything. My eyes have seen. <laughs> Saquon's first practice, August 24th. That is after the second preseason game. And now before the third preseason game, but remember again, we don't know how this is going to work. There's only three preseason games. So which is mm. the serious preseason game now? I don't know. We will, we'll have to. That'll be a, an interesting uh, topic this summer of how coaches approach that as well. So August 24th, first full practice for Saquon Barkley. Oof. And then the other complicating factor is they're going to have so many joint practices. I don't know if that's the environment you want to bring them back in when, you know, you can trust that like, Blake Martinez isn't going to take a shot at him, but can you, you know, feel the same way with some linebacker you don't know from Cleveland or New England? Ah, uh, man. I guess that's the week. Is their third game, their third preseason game is against New England, right? Right. So I guess that would be the week that they joint practice in New England. Right. Which would make it tough to bring him back that week. But when do you bring him back then? Like, yeah, when, no, is the, when is the right time? Yeah, I mean, because you're talking full practice, too. I mean, like, if you wanted to play in week one, I mean, he has to at least – I think there's that week after that preseason game or, I guess, you know, week one, technically, he'd have to be going full speed at that point. He's going to play in the opener. So, I right, I guess, I, I don't know about full practice. I, I think that, you know, maybe even earlier he'll be out there, you know, going through some stuff. But I don't know if he ever really full practices until after the – like, you know, the preseason schedule is over. Um, Cause again, I just don't know if you even want to expose them to, to a hit from a, you know, an enemy, line, you know, behind enemy lines or something like that, where you can't totally control it. I'm sure, uh, you know, judge will, would make it explicit to, you know, he's he this relationship with Stefanski and Belichick that, you know, no one's to touch him, but um, I don't, again, I don't know if you'd expose him in that setting. So uh, I guess I'll have to say over that, like a full practice, I, I think he'll be participating by then to some extent, but I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, going, you know, two hour practice, 11 on 11, be out there as much as, you know, a starting running back typically would be. Right. My thought is I picked that date because I thought maybe the second he would come back the week before. And then when they go to the joint practice for that, because the week before, I think it's like, that's not the Cleveland week. I think the Cleveland week's the first pre is earlier. I don't know. I'm the, well, they could bring him back one week, then give him like a light week the next week after that. And then they get into the preseason. So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. There's really, there's really no uh, past precedent for this because this is right. a totally new setup of of training camp with three preseason games, with two joint practices, and with the star running back coming back from injury. Like you said before, it's pretty unique. Uh, well, last one, Jason Garrett. For somehow, somehow, some way, Jason Garrett talks. He does his press conferences. 
inspires zero confidence, refuses to take the bait on anything. You would think he does almost doesn't understand the whole concept behind the media thing, which is uh, really mind boggling considering he's been in the league forever as a player, then as a assistant and then as a coach, a head coach for the, the Dallas Cowboys, like the biggest team media wise or attention wise in the NFL. And like, you know, you try and open the door for him and to say, Hey, Jason, you know, you're going to open the playbook in so many words this year. Now they have all these weapons and he just doesn't want to take the bait. And then he runs out of time after like three questions. It's like a a four minute interview. So Jason Garrett, next press conference, four and a half minutes. Are you (laughs) taking the over or the under? He he lasted, I think it was five questions this week. He he got five questions. questions. I guess I'll take the over because he does have a way of sort of filibustering. So even if you're going to only have a handful of questions, he does have not answering the question at all, but using a lot of words. Um, <laughs> so I feel like they're up against the Which is a skill. It's good skill. Oh, it's, it's absolutely masterful. I mean, Belichick puts on the clinic with that. Um, you know, people talk about how he doesn't, you know, talk. They're kind of seeing the post-game stuff where he's grunting out answers, but like you get him on like a, <laughs> a Friday morning, he'll talk for eight minutes on the, uh, the history of long snapping. Um, but no, Garrett, uh, definitely long-winded, but not not too much meat in those answers. Um, I thought he actually said a little bit more this week, only because he identified something specific where he said, you know, the goal last year was to like cut back on turnovers. We didn't do that in the first half. We got better at it. But like it wasn't groundbreaking, but it was actually a little more than he reveals where he spe- like specified something um, and, and shed a little insight. But um, definitely. I mean, especially it's tough for him because he follows Thomas McGahee and Patrick Graham on the coordinators days. And, and both of those guys are really good press conferences too. Um, so it makes the Garrett interviews just seem a little more dull, uh, but I'll give him over. Cause I Wait, think there's nothing. Little... It doesn't matter who he followed or who he came after his interviews. <laughs> they're dull. <laughs> Fair. I mean, go but watch. I, that. Yeah. Go watch that thing. Anybody who's, who's out there listening to this, you don't know what we're talking about. Go on the giants website, watch Jason Garrett's press conference and try not to fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very polite, though. I'll give him that. Uh, but no, yeah, I'll, I'll take the over on that. Um, I don't know. I, I think... I'd, I'd rather combat him. And you know what's funny you say about Patrick Graham? It's like, remember when Pat, I, I don't know how long you, you were here when Patrick Graham was in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was like nervous, like in front. He was, he was very short. He wasn't like gregarious and outgoing. Now he like cracks jokes left and right. I mean, he's just like a different guy. No, I remember. I remember distinctly. He was terrible. He was like one of these position coaches. They had to like you know pull out to talk to us uh, like against his will. And then it was funny. It was towards the end where I, you know, and McAdoo had gotten fired. It was like his last press conference, and he turned it into like an open mic night. And I was like, well, who had this guy been the last two years? Uh, and certainly he's come back, and he's a lot more comfortable in his own skin. And uh, he's very entertaining. He's he's insightful. He's kind of humorous, and um, it's just nice to have a guy who. You know, you don't really know. You put this way, you don't know the answer when you ask him a question. But there's plenty of coaches where you know no matter what you ask, you're going to get just sort of the pablum that doesn't really reveal anything. Both with Graham, um, you know, you, know, you kind of don't know what he's going to say. It's 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 a pretty interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, he is. I, I do enjoy uh, talking to Packham. Hopefully, we get to talking to him in person too soon. So, uh, but Dan, we appreciate it. Thank you for the time. You know, go make sure that little guy's still sleeping. And if not, you could you could grab a nap. You know, I mean, two kids. If you you could grab a nap in the afternoon, middle of the afternoon, huge win, huge win. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I guess I owed you this podcast because Jordan uh, 
you donated like two bags of hand-me-downs from your son, which uh, came in very handy. So I, I owed you one. So appreciate that. We got a lot of kicks coming up on the way too. a lot of like, you know, cool pairs of sneakers that uh, I, I find myself buying way too many of lately. So you're, you're in Gucci. What's his name again? Jack. Jack. Jack's going to have, Jack's going to have a, a sweet outfit. He's got some floor, right. uh, uh, jump, jumpsuits too. It's going to be sick. All right, well, I'm sure I've totally lost all your uh, your listeners at this point. So, as a loyal listener, let let me close the segment. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, so Dugan, as my daughter likes to say, uh, brought up a good point there, an interesting point. Because he said, you know, I wrote this story about Saquon a couple weeks ago, about how the Giants are going to bring him along slowly, and then Saquon went out there, Joe Judge went out there, and they kind of backed up what I was saying and reporting at the time. But it doesn't always work that way. Now let me set the stage for this one. Saquon Barkley has that high ankle sprain. Everyone's talking about, this is like two or th- three weeks after he gets this high ankle sprain. Everyone's talking about how he's a miracle healer at the time. He's going to come back and he's going to end up playing against, on this Thursday night game against the New England Patriots. This is two years ago. And I report a few days before the game, I think like probably like Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was. Tuesday, it must have been Tuesday morning because Wednesday they travel and then Thursday they play. So Tuesday morning I must report, you know, Saquon's not going to play. He's going to miss another game. And then Saquon later that day goes out there and he's standing in front of his locker doing a press conference saying, yeah, someone asked him, yeah, there's a report. You're not going to play, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know. Hey, I don't know anything about that. That's not uh, that's not true. Blah blah blah. This and that. And I'm sitting there, you know, taking it on the chin at the time, saying, "Okay, this makes me look stupid." But knowing, because I got it from someone solid, like solid, solid, that he wasn't going to play that week. I got it from two people actually. I got it from someone and then confirmed it from someone within the organization at the, at the time that no, he was not going to play that week. So I felt a hundred on it. But then he goes out there publicly and he like poo-poos it. And I'm sitting there looking like an idiot. Now, in the end, I knew I'd be fine. And then I even had some media people giving me crap like, 
not here, national people say, hey, you know, you better, you better be careful on this one. I don't know. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I know. Well, they're all giving me crap anyway. But for the 24 hours or so until Saquon was ruled out, I had to sit there and look like an idiot. Knowing, though, that I was going to be right. Still get nervous. You still get nervous. I mean, it's just like when you break a story. You get nervous when you break a story, even though you know it's true. Just until you like get a, a, another validation or confirmation that you're right. It's just the, maybe it's just the adrenaline. Maybe it's just the way it goes. But that's for me at least. That's how it works. Like I'll break a story, even a signing, and then it's like this feeling of satisfaction that you accomplished something and you broke the story. But then you sit there and you're you're a little nervous. Like, what if this person lied to me? Even though you know that that person didn't lie to you. What if, what if multiple people lied to me? Like, and you know multiple these multiple people didn't lie to you, but these things still go through my head every single time. Every single time. That's that's the way it works. So that's my Jordan on the beat for this week's Breaking Big Blue. This is the portion of the podcast where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, cover the NFL, work for ESPN. I also, I wanted to, I, I forgot after the Chris Snee episode last week, I should have added this as the Jordan on the beat. So I'll give you a real abridged version of this story. Uh, but you know the reality is it's Chris Snee's fault that Eric Flowers attacked me. At least that that was the word at the time, is that I used to do these videos with Chris Snee, and he, we used to break down some stuff with the Giants. And at one point when Flowers was a rookie, he kind of was breaking down his play, said he, he, wasn't, he wasn't even that bad, but he said he needed to work on a couple things. So you, it could be, I guess it could have been taken as critical. But apparently Flowers never would admit this to me or, or admit why he attacked me in the first place because I didn't ask a question, but it did get back to me through somebody else that he was mad about something Chris Snee said in one of those videos. So I blame Chris Snee for Eric Flowers coming after me. Should have added that last week's episode. So cleaned it up here. I'm Jordan Rana. Remember, like, subscribe, tell your friends. The best Giants inside information podcast there is is Breaking Big Blue. Hands down. Nobody else is close. I promise you. You're not going to get this information like that you got from me and Dan Duggan today anywhere else. A lot of those other podcasts, they, they can bring they bring different value, but not this kind of value. So make sure you tell your friends Breaking Big Blue. And you know you could reach me everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email. Don't call my phone. Uh, but everywhere else, you could reach out to me. I do my best to get back to as many of you as possible. I really do. Especially not on Twitter. Twitter especially aside from Twitter, I should say. Because Twitter, it's a little crazy. A little crazy on there. It's like the wild, wild west on Twitter. The dregs of the universe, I like to say. So. But everywhere else, I really do. I do my best to get back to you, answer everybody's questions. Uh, they have to be within reason, but we get the point. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. Hey.